Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are Devendra Hardwire and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today on the podcast, we're going to be discussing what we've been watching uh, and moving on into an in-depth review. Now, last week we had promised that we would be reviewing Tempopo, and many people uh, told us they watched Tempopo and had a great time. And had a great time watching listen, Tempopo. Listen, everybody Let's... who watched Tempopo won. Like you, you, you definitely <laughs> won this week. It's an amazing movie. Cannot wait to talk about it. As I told yeah, Dave, no good deed goes unpunished. Yep. <laughs> so we will be talking about Tempopo, just not this week. So just hold on to those Tempopo feelings for uh, the next episode of the Slash Film Guest. Um, but we did not realize that uh, this when we said Tempopo, we did not realize that Josh Trank's new movie Capone was going to coming out on video on demand this week. Yeah, the long-awaited. Josh Trank revival, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we all were very curious. Like, yeah, he he made Chronicle. That was a great film. Then Fantastic Four was a terrible film. And so the question is, can this guy actually still make great films? Right. And uh, the movie Capone, I think, partially answers that question. Um, So we are really excited to talk about that movie with uh, guest Scott Wampler later on in the podcast. Um, but that is what is in store. You can find more episodes of the show at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Now, before we get to the show this week, uh, I wanted to, you know, I, I generally like to start the show by like checking in with folks, seeing how you're doing, seeing if there's anything new. Um, I'll just say something that uh, is, is a new habit I've developed this week, which is uh, ripping movie commentaries. <laughs> Like a crazy Put, person? Putting them onto my iPhone and uh-huh. listening to them on my walks. Now, I don't know if you guys, th- this has changed for you guys, but I take like th- up to three walks a day now, like around uh-huh. my block. Uh, I know Devendra is not as feasible for you, but uh, Jeff, I don't know what your walk schedule is like. But I'm, given that, yeah, I've been a runner. Um, we It's a little unclear. Literally, the night before last, uh, the mayor of L.A., issued a new uh, decree about um, face masks at all times. So I don't know if I'm going to keep running because I don't particularly like the idea of running in a face mask. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, tough. Uh, it's not yeah. great. Yeah, or I'll get some other mask that is a, one of those wicking um, fabrics. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But yes, I have been uh, I have been running, but I um, this is probably not very interesting, but I have stopped listening to anything when I run. I used to love uh, audiobooks and podcasts when I ran, um, but I have completely stopped listening to anything while I run, and I just go out there with my thoughts. Uh, and so when I do a lot of work on um, the dungeon run and, and like your just own kind personal of, podcast over here, yeah, it's yeah. very meditative for me to be, be outside and alone and running. Sometimes That's I nice. run yeah. pushing my kids in the stroller or whatever, but um, yeah, I've stopped listening to anything. It's interesting because uh, I, I, my guess is you're probably just like very stimulated at all times, right? You got your kids, you yes. got your job, and then um, it's it's very rare to get any kind of uh, quiet time with my brain, with myself, and so mm-hmm. I've I need to get out of the house and moving, and it's very I find it to be very meditative. It's um, actually time I cherish. And because of that, I'm telling people that are probably listening as they're exercising. It's like, don't listen to our podcast, which is never what I would want to say, (laughs) but I find it very therapeutic and it makes me actually find time to exercise more Mm -hmm. because I appreciate the time more and I seek it out. I'm like, you know, I got to get out for an hour and run. So 
I can just have some peace. I think we could all use some more like shutdown time, honestly, because it makes me appreciate all the stuff like, oh, I I can think I can do other things. Uh, Being bored feels like something we've lost in a way. And that is a time where so much gets done. Like for me, if I just sit and think, even I'm I'm not outside, if I'm just laying down trying to meditate, uh, my mind is still racing, doing a ton of things. So, hey, hey, listen to podcasts and listen to us, but also don't sometimes. Uh, Well, speaking of that, uh, I'm doing the exact opposite of that, which is uh, so I've been ripping movie commentaries into audio files and listening to them on my walks. How are and, you ripping them, by the way? Uh, you 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 can uh, if you can use ripping software to extract audio files off just of to disc. get the audio file. Okay, gotcha. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the thing is, when it comes to movie commentaries, a I love listening to them, but b typically when that would come up. Right, the opportunity to listen to an uh, uh, audio commentary is when you the disc is in your you know um, yes is in the drive like or in is in your Blu-ray player or whatever. Now I know like a lot of commentaries are on like the the digital versions now, so like mainly that, mainly iTunes. Like actually, for what you're doing, Dave, like I've I really like buying iTunes versions just to put the commentary on and go for a walk. And it's yeah, still yeah, playing yeah, on my exactly. Phone. Yeah. That, that's a that's a great way to do it as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I've realized that um generally when i watch a movie it's like that is the time where i least want to then rewatch that movie with commentary yeah right yeah but it yeah. is also the time when it is most convenient to activate the commentary so there's then then been all these commentaries on the discs i own that i have not listened to because uh, i'll watch the movie on blu-ray and I'll be like, oh man that movie is so great but i just rewatched it am i really going to now go back and rewatch it again with commentary and the answer is generally no uh, so I've been, uh, ripping commentaries, putting them on my phone, walking around, listening to them. And most of them work really, really well. Now, sometimes they'll refer to like, oh, that cut was awesome. You know? And then it's like, okay, well, I don't know what he's talking about, but yeah. uh, in general, uh, I think it works really well. I listened to, uh, the last Jedi commentary recently. And, um, I listened to Zack Snyder's Watchmen commentary. It's also interesting to hear kind of how different directors do commentary, you know, like mm-hmm. what they emphasize, what is important to them. Have you, have you heard that crazy, the Soderbergh commentary with the, uh, was it the cinematographer writer of the limey? No, that is up on criterion channel, apparently. So right. it's famously contentious. Like they are straight up arguing about that movie and how they worked on that. So, uh, yeah, sounds fantastic. So that's one thing to check out. But anyway, uh, basically I'm saying I'd recommend it. And, um, if you have any commentary files or uh, commentary thoughts you want to share with us, feel free to shoot them over to slash filmcast.gmail.com. I do, um, I do feel like this is a missed opportunity for studios to like, hey, you want to entice people to come check out your movies or something? Like, give us more commentaries in podcast form. That's why I really like the Directors Guild uh, podcast for that is just like directors talking to each other. Give like You can get some value by offering people a, you know, a slice of your content or something. I've also enjoyed kind of the, the HBO has done podcast uh, episodes with the yeah. creator, or uh, AMC, right? The, there was a Breaking Bad podcast. There was a better, there's a Better Call Saul podcast. And also um, HBO has did like a Watchmen one and a Chernobyl one, which I would all, I would recommend listening to everything I just all said. All very good. Yeah. Yeah. All very good. So, um, and those are things you can kind of take with you and like walk around and listen to those and um, great insight into the filmmaking process uh from from uh, the horse's mouth there so uh that's something i've been doing uh, it's interesting what uh I, this is only tangentially related but it's interesting what josh gad is doing with like his 
um, from home reun- mm-hmm. reuniting casts from eighties movies. Yeah. Um, it, it just thought of it in the sense that you guys, you know, we're saying it's an opportunity right now. I feel like it's those things wouldn't have happened if everybody wasn't home. <laughs> you know, it feels like he's yeah. taking advantage of the fact that people are home and available. And I, there is kind of a weird opportunity in this moment to create content that maybe wouldn't have been made otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Although uh, I will say in here in Seattle, I'm recording this on May 16th. Um, but yesterday uh, was the first date since February uh, where zero people died from coronavirus. Hey, congrats. Um, there's zero deaths from coronavirus. In Seattle? Is that what you're saying? In Seattle, yeah. 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 Um, so th- that was actually really, really encouraging because um, we're starting kind of a phased reopen soon and we'll mm-hmm. see what that looks like. So uh, speaking of taking advantage of uh, things while people are at home, uh, I-, I don't know if you guys heard this news, but Hamilton is going to be released early. Oh, yeah. Uh, on July 3rd. Uh, Not just early, but like a year a early. Year right? early. It, was, it was originally yeah. supposed to be released in October of 2021. And I think the idea was that they were going to like wait until all the live performances were over. Yeah. And yeah. But all the live performances it. are over. So <laughs> the live performances are over. So, uh, I mean, there was, I think there was even going to be a theatrical. Uh, oh, yeah. Release, that that right? thing had the potential to earn a lot of money theatrically, yeah. you know? So this is kind of amazing. And maybe to me, I've been thinking about this like, really shows like everyone is trying to pump up their streaming services right now. And this is like, this is uh, Disney's golden goose. They spent a ton of money to acquire the rights to this thing. Around and like $75 million. Yeah, dollars is my yeah. It's insane. And, it's but the, right it's now, the it's, trolls world tour effect. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I think. I think of Hamilton and trolls world tour. Trolls world, world tour yeah. is changing the movie industry single-handedly it is. by making, it's making a, a shit ton of money. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have that we have that to look forward to on July third. Uh, is that it will it will stream on Disney Plus, right? Um, yep. Uh, on uh, on July third, which is like wow. That many of us already have Disney Plus, right? So it's just like, hey, you get you get free Hamilton. Uh, have all of us seen Hamilton live? I know Devinder has. Jeff, have you seen have, it live? Yeah. I have not. I never did. Oh I, man, I, I, I so this always wanted to. Treat for you. You'll though. you'll have yeah. a chance. Too. You are you are gonna freaking love this, Jeff. I know. Yeah, I there were. We uh, many times were looking at just buying tickets to New York and flying in to see it. It was it was yeah. all kinds of crazy things, and we, we tried a few times here in L.A. and it just it just never happened. So I'm I've been very much excited to see it. So yeah, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, July third is when you can see it on on uh, Disney Plus. Maybe we'll even review it on the podcast. I was thinking sure, that might be something we could take idea. that HBO um, Max, right? <laughs> Right? Uh, what 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 even is that? I'm still I review like tech and streaming services and I'm very confused about what HBO Max is going to be for a lot of people other than a new HBO now. But that's that's a whole other story. This one is the Max though. You all the way up. Yeah. Like knob down. It's not just now. It's yeah. all of the now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all of the nows at once existing simultaneously. <laughs> uh I want to uh, I wanted to shout out a couple things before we get to what we've been watching as well. One is that uh, it is it was the five year anniversary of Mad Max Fury Road this week, which I know was many of ours favorite movie of the decade, action movie yeah. of the decade, one of the greatest mm-hmm. movies of all time, in my opinion. Yep. Uh, Kyle Buchanan did a great oral history over at New York Times dot com. I don't know if you guys had a chance to read this, but uh, it was genuinely moving reading this because it's that movie is so beloved by me. And many of us, so many of us, and it was 
the the oral history confirms what I always suspected, which is that it was wildly difficult to make that movie. Oh yeah, right? and, and we knew a lot of that at the time, like the the fight yeah. between Tom Hardy and Charlie Sarah and and all of that. They shot for I mean, what six months in the desert. It's actually kind of encouraging that you can't just make a movie like that. You yeah. know that it's like, yeah. it literally is a trip through a nightmare scenario. You know, like if if it was just. A easy breezy shoot and they came out with that movie i'd be like well i, I don't even understand the world anymore you it know? basically would shame you for not doing yeah. more with your life <laughs> exactly yeah, right? i also want every that movie other movie like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I want that movie to feel like a herculean effort that you know almost <laughs> ended people you know that, that's what i want because it's like yeah of course it's on the screen uh yeah and i think uh, steven soderbergh had the best quote on it where he said uh, quote i don't understand how they're not still shooting that film yeah. and i don't understand how hundreds of people aren't dead end quote <laughs> exactly um, so uh this is a great oral history i think it, yeah you get a little sense of the conflict between charlie's and tom hardy um and uh, also like some of the things they did to prep for the movie were interesting and the thing that was most like shocking to me was that they ran out of money at one point and mm-hmm. almost couldn't shoot the scenes at the beginning and end of the film with immortan joe and the big you know the thing with all the water coming down all that stuff like uh, they 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 didn't have it in their budget to shoot it, and uh, Kevin Sujihara, the since ousted head of WB, um, took over, saw the movie, and like you know, let's do this right, and they were able to reshoot it, and like now it's like obviously regarded as a masterpiece, but like it almost came so close to not being the movie that it was because they didn't have enough money to finish it. Movies are miracles, um, guys. Yeah. Like it's it's, it's crazy. True. Any of these things get made, especially one where they shot in the desert. Uh, reading like all this stuff and the behind the scenes stuff, it also strikes me just how much faith people put into uh, the director. Yeah. In into the director, like into Miller and actually getting this happening. I can't imagine like a young, inexperienced person, like people would have revolted. Nobody would have sat through that. But the, like Frank Miller, man, well, George Miller, sorry. George Miller yeah, can George make Miller, that yeah. happen. Yeah. And that that's because like we know he's he is a genius and he's proven that several times. And I don't know, to me, that is like I, I, I don't find too many things in the world beyond like nature kind of like religious or, you know, giving me that sense of something religious but man the faith people put into artists like that is kind of astounding sometimes yeah the citadel scenes by the way the ones i was referring oh, to oh man yeah um and yeah it almost didn't get made uh favorite quote from this this whole oral history is when george miller says quote when someone is directing a film they're thinking about it every waking hour and even processing it in their dreams the problem yeah. is if you're a studio executive you tend to think about it for 10 minutes on a wednesday and yeah yeah, uh, which, by the way, is also a good context for this podcast. You know, uh, <laughs> if you're a filmmaker, you're thinking about it every waking hour for months. And uh, if you're uh, on the Slash Filmcast, you tend to think about a movie for about 90 minutes every Tuesday or so. Um, so Listen, you know, I, I think a bad movie will like infest my brain for a week as certain bad movies tend to, as we'll see later today. <laughs> Uh, one last thing I wanted to bring up before we, we get into what we've been watching, which is um, I read this Cracked article this week uh, that I thought was kind of fun. And I don't know if you guys know this, but like, in my opinion, the biggest weaknesses of the Jurassic Park movies, right? actually, uh, a friend of the show, Patrick Willens, made a whole video about this, is that the Jurassic Park movie series divorces the viewer from the protagonist because Uh the view like the idea of a great horror movie or action movie is like you can relate 
with the protagonist. You know, Jeff, the, the canonical example we refer to frequently in the Slice Filmcast is Green Room, right? Like, and I right. remember the way you described that movie. You're, you're like, in that movie, people are so smart. They're doing things you wish you would have thought of, right? Right. That is the opposite of what happens with the Jurassic Park movies. <laughs> right? Because in the Jurassic Park movies, uh, people do things that are, they return to the island in ways that are stupid. Like, you would never go back after what's happened, right? But J.M. McNabb over at Cracked.com wrote this article called Jurassic Park's Strangest Plot Point Now Makes Sense in 2020. Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, the idea of like Jurassic World, right? The, the park isn't just open, it's thriving. Uh, what is up with that? What's like, up with that? W- uh, and here, here it is. It's like, quote in the, this article, when Jurassic World was first released, everything seemed really weird. Would they really reopen Jurassic Park after the tragedies begin in the first movie? <laughs> Think about it. If the test run of Universal's Wizarding World of Harry Potter resulted in multiple fatalities and several near child disembowelings, presumably people would, wouldn't be sucking back butter beers like it was no big deal just a few years later. And the events of the first movie were well known by the time of Jurassic World. So how would, for instance, Jimmy Buffett sanction building a Margaritaville location on Velociraptor Death Island? (laughs) For all he knew, his customers would be enjoying their Calypso coconut shrimp on the exact same spot where Newman was horrifically disemboweled. You know what? Well, that's a franchisee decision. You know, I think he just <laughs> he just approves the franchise, and they, yeah. the franchisees really make the the they make the final call, and that's, yeah. that's it. They empower the franchisees, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, the article goes on, and it all makes a little bit more sense now, as as critic Matt Zoller sites and other on social media pointed out. No one living through 2020's COVID nineteen pandemic would ever question the believability of these events, despite the fact that we're in the midst of a global emergency that has killed more Americans than the entire Vietnam War. Many leaders, including the president, are pushing to reopen the U.S. economy against the advice of experts, and we're already seeing people willing to risk their lives and the lives of others to simply get a haircut or watch Vin Diesel get injected with nanotechnology and go on a killing spree. Um, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely uh, true. Th- that, that is a reference to people going back to movie theaters in Texas, by the way. That last, yep, time. yep, yep, yep. But the 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 core, like I think, horror of Jurassic Park was also like us, not only like you know testing technology that we didn't have any idea how to handle, but like the unbridled power of capitalism and ways to, you know, make a profit whenever possible and you know sell things at the danger of everybody else, and then we're willingly doing it. We're just wa- some people are just walking into it. It's not just nefarious corporations trying to get people out there. It is people who demand the privilege and freedom to put themselves in danger. That is the true like I don't even think Stephen King could come up with a, you know, a story of just people being dumb because we just we would think it's dumb. We would think it's too unbelievable. In fact, yeah, the the current pandemic is just uh it's being driven by stupidity. It's, it's yeah, they, the, they cut out the scene with all the people protesting with the signs that say, let us touch the giant death reptiles. <laughs> this is <laughs> you America. can't keep us away. This is America. I need to see the T-Rex for myself. It, it, it really does. I mean, we're, we're making fun of it and we should be, but it really yeah. does cast a movie like Jurassic World in a new light to me, which is that also yeah, yeah. every movie where they have that terrible, every bad movie where they have that terrible scene where the person goes in front of the Senator and the Senator is like, I don't believe you expert. You know, it's like <laughs> that is literally happening verbatim in the real world. You know, literally, <laughs> literally 
who are you to say, you know, that moment in the movie where, you know, the Jeff Goldblum, like, uh, cool, uh, scientist is sitting there and is like, no, you don't understand that all of the ants are growing to be 500 times their normal size and we can stop it. And he's like, who are you to say, you know, it's everyone's the mayor from Jaws now. It's literally like the mayor from Jaws seemed like the stupidest person in the world until, oh, wait, those are all the people now. Everyone is the fucking mayor from Jaws. Hey, guys, I'm genuinely worried about us as a society. So good luck, everybody. I, I don't safe. dispute. I don't dispute what you're saying, Jeff. I do. I do want to say that, like, certainly in Seattle and many other places, there have been a lot, millions of people that are actually trying to do the right thing and trying to list experts, right? Um, so, do you want to point that out? But yes, there are uh, a significant minority whose voices are frequently amplified in media. Uh, well, it's, that it's don't, not. Don't. Yeah, th- this is a whole separate thing, Dave. Like, it's not just the protesters, but it's like me walking outside and just seeing like waves of people. Just like hanging out in the park and walking down the street like nothing is wrong. Like it's not. Yeah, those protesters are one thing. But man, I it does make me feel sad about how people think about their responsibility to others. Uh, Yeah, this whole thing is kind of breaking me down slowly. I cannot wait to get out of here and end up moving to a state where things could be even worse because yeah man there's no savior there's no savior well the way you describe it certainly sounds exciting yeah that is 2020 life in 2020 no escape (laughs) Devendra's like man this frying pan sucks can't wait to move into the fire yeah it's time for me to tell you about our sponsor and Now, more than ever, is not the time to be in debt. You don't want to be paying high credit card bills with exorbitant APRs. That's why our sponsor, Lightstream, exists. They believe that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. They want to help you erase your credit card bills by having a credit card consolidation loan to help you mark your bills paid in full. So Lightstream's credit card consolidation loans have rates from just 5.95% APR with auto pay, and there are absolutely no fees. You don't want to be paying fees. You don't want to be paying these crazy high APRs, a lot of credit cards, especially if you have multiple credit cards. You can consolidate that all into one single loan with uh, rates from just 5.95% APR with auto pay. So... If you want to apply now, you can also get an additional interest rate discount to save even more. And the only way to get that discount is to go to lightstream.com slash filmcast. That's lightstream.com slash filmcast for an additional discount. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash filmcast. F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash filmcast for more information. All right, let's move on to what we've been watching this week. Uh, so I had another Twitch watch party uh, this week. I've been tweeting out my Twitch watch parties and uh, again, chose a movie that was appropriate for a Twitch watch party, which was Abduction, the Taylor Lautner action vehicle. Why? Mm. And uh, a couple of things I just want to point out about Abduction, which is just that, number one, fascinating movie. That movie has Sigourney Weaver, Maria Bello, Jason Isaacs, Alfred Molina. Uh Amazing cast. It felt to me like 
Like, I'm sure it felt to me like uh, all these people were were get, kind of these storied actors, kind of getting together to kind of hand the baton off to like the next generation. You know, to boot like what's the equivalent of like a movie like a bar mitzvah or like quinceanera or whatever. You know what I mean? Like basically all these amazing actors starring in this schlock to to it could be like Taylor Lautner, you've arrived, and uh, the movie unfortunately isn't very good, but. It does have Maria Bello doing martial arts and kicking guys' asses for one scene. I'd watch that. Uh, yeah. And that's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. But it's just fascinating that at one point in time, it's a fun cultural artifact that at one point in time, we all thought Taylor Lautner was going to be an action star. Um, and it, it, when you when you think of Team Edward versus Team Jacob, right? Uh, think, of, think of the career trajectories of those two guys. It's fascinating. You know, uh, and, and it's come full circle because Pattinson, Pattinson is now Batman, right? So yeah. uh, it's come full circle. Um, basically, Taylor Lautner just needed a lengthy period where he was doing well-respected indie films, uh, and maybe things would have turned out different for him. But uh, Abduction, not very good movie. I gave it half a star on Letterboxd. Uh, also, I had a chance to watch the Skywalker Legacy. Uh, I actually, you know, did a video with Patrick on, on my YouTube channel about this and also, uh, like watched, basically watched a bunch of Star Wars stuff, watched the director and the Jedi, which is about the making of the last Jedi and watched the Skywalker legacy about the making of rise of Skywalker. And these are great documentaries, yeah. uh, great behind the scenes documentaries. Uh, I'll, I'll just point out a couple things uh, about these. One is that, uh, it is really amazing how much work goes into even a bad star Wars movie. Right. And you just, I do think it's worth it to just marvel at the artistry, all the work that went into it. Like we really did not like the Skywalker legacy on this, on this, uh, I'm sorry, the Skywalker rise Skywalker on this podcast, but, um, everyone worked their ass off on that movie. And I think it's worth just like reflecting on that, honoring that. And I think watching this documentary, the Skywalker legacy is a way of honoring that. You know, the same um, is true about the behind the scenes stuff uh, for Phantom Menace, man, watching all the featurettes on that Blu-ray and watching all of the work that went into Phantom Menace, it is extraordinary, especially because at that time there was no such thing as a bad Star Wars movie. No one had, no one had understood what a bad Star Wars movie could be. Right, right. Everyone who was involved in the Phantom Menace was like, this is the greatest job I could have ever hoped for. And they were all just bringing their A game and showing it to George. And there's all these shots of all the, the like hundreds of hundreds, I mean, dozens of hundreds of, uh, of uh, to use a Chen term, of um, uh, concept art images and maquettes and all of the things that you do to prep a Star Wars movie where it's just like, hey, let's be imagination for a while. Let's just be imagination. And man, it, it, what a cool thing. I think that featurette almost is better than the movie. It's oh, so no, it's firing and yeah. exciting. Yeah. Well, what's great about the Phantom Menace documentary, which I think is on, you can watch on YouTube is that it, it, it shows how like the process was very challenging and how, they didn't at one point, you know, the movie was bad uh, or they thought the movie was bad, <laughs> at one right? point, at one point, <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Unfortunately, they, that point is still happening today. <laughs> we are still living in it. Um, but no, that, the, the, you know, the, the, there's a screening of the movie and they come out and they look like shell shock, right? <laughs> they, they just look like things, things are not going well. Whereas what's fascinating about the Skywalker legacy and also the force awakens documentary is, the story the, that was the second point I was going to bring up is the story that those documentaries tell is, oh, this is great. 
this is so much fun. Everyone had a great time. Whereas those out of the three movies, those were the most challenging to make. Uh-huh. On the other hand, The Last Jedi, as far as we all understand, had the smoothest production, right? Like the story was locked by the time Force Awakens was out. Um, everyone had a great time working with Ryan Johnson. And But the documentary called The Director and the Jedi, it's a great 90-minute documentary. It's very much like, here's an unproven you know, franchise. Right? Like, uh, he's never made a big franchise movie like this. He has really different ideas. It's framed as, we're not sure if this is going to work. Right. And that's that's the director and the Jedi. And it's called the director and the Jedi because Mark Hamill outright says, I disagree with Ryan Johnson's vision of this character. Yeah. Um, but it's just so it's much just, more interesting. I think like that, that documentary. I don't know. Yeah. It was combative in a way that was interesting. Yeah. It's fascinating. Basically, the meta narrative of uh, that. There, the, these narratives, these documentaries tell the story that episode seven and nine were super smooth and awesome. And episode eight was challenging. But in fact, the opposite was true right, of all right. three of those movies. Um, so and I think it speaks to maybe like when you're confident in the final movie product. May, this is this is just like guessing. Right. But like when you're confident in the final movie product, you can kind of maybe show more like warts and all the making of. But when things are challenging, you're like, okay, we need to project an error of confidence. That's that's just a, a guess. But in any case, would recommend that the Skywalker Legacy hit Disney Plus this week. That's how I watched it. And the director, directing the Jedi, also on Disney Plus, uh, would recommend it. And you can check out the video that Patrick and I made on my YouTube channel. Devendra, what have you been watching this week? Oh, sure. Well, let me tell you guys, and you'll hear more about this during our review. But let's just say after watching Capone, <laughs> I was a little shell-shocked. I was a little drained of uh, the potential for cinema, you know, just a bit. Then I watched The Eddie, which is the new Netflix show uh, directed by uh, a couple episodes directed by Damien Chazelle, uh, created by Jack Thorne. This is a show starring Andre Holland. It is about jazz. It's about music. Can you imagine that coming from Damien Chazelle? It's about a jazz club in Paris that's kind of like struggling. And it's a dream club for Andre Holland to kind of get this thing off the ground. And it is just like, it feels like a gritty French independent movie in so many ways. Like, I could tell, I mean, I'm mainly watching this because I love Damien Chazelle and I'll watch anything he puts his name to. But the first episode of this is just really exploring Andre Holland and like how this club is struggling, how he's working with his partner. Um, Nothing can seem to be going right. But then there are these moments of just greatness of people playing music at the club or Andre Holland's character trying to form a relationship with his daughter, uh, having like makeshift concerts with people in Paris. It is, I'm really digging it. It is like shot in this like almost verite style. Like it's very lots of handheld shots, lots of close-ups. It feels like just a really interesting experiment for Damien Chazelle. And um it's kind of a crime movie too, because like gangsters are involved eventually and like there's drama around the club and everything. I've only seen the first episode, but I am fully on board. This thing and the first episode itself was like movie length, I believe. Uh, I'm just really digging it. It is a chill show about music and people like chasing their dreams. And I love seeing Andre Holland in these roles and, you know, people trying to find meaning in their lives. Um, it kind of reminds me of Treme, which is a fantastic show that, you know, few people watched, but it lasted for a long while on HBO. So if you dug that show or if you dug, just like are interested in Damien Chazelle and how he explores music. That's something I've been into with him since like, since whiplash, you know, like this is a guy who understands the struggle 
and the like heartache and everything involved with leading a music career. And it just kind of comes through and all his stuff. So yeah, check it out. I think you guys would appreciate this just on a creative level. Uh, that's the Eddie and I've heard great things about it. So I'm actually looking forward to checking yeah, it out. It's really good. Um, so Eddie, you watched the episode, the first episode, anything else we watching Devendra? Uh, also another Netflix show. I've been checking out the midnight gospel, which is Pendleton mm, yeah. Ward's new show. Uh, you know, the adventure time guy, uh and it is uh it is something special it is basically a podcast show but animated in a really trippy way it's about this this like um you know this character who has a machine to jump into alternate universes like or multiple like yeah another universe to have people on his like you know galactic podcast and they talk about whatever they talk about the meaning of life or you know anything um and usually while this is happening uh the place he's visiting is going through some sort of apocalypse so it's like really discordant like animation uh there's like a, a visual story being told about what's happening in the world that is not always related to the conversation they're having but i found it really compelling the first episode um you know he goes to this planet that's suffering a zombie invasion the president is played by dr drew and he just sits and has a conversation with Dr. Drew while they like fight off zombies, you know, and try to save that, that society. Um, it's really weird. It's really trippy. I love the look of it. I've always loved, you know, the way Adventure Time looks. And there's a lot of like great traditional animation here. And it's just like really chill and interesting. Um, I believe it also uses clips from Duncan Trussell's podcasts. And I've never listened to any of his shows, but I'm going to go back and check some of those out now because it's just like, a lot of conversations with really interesting people. Uh, Stephen Roots in this, uh, Maria Bamford, um, a lot of cool people as like guests too, like the people who are guesting on the show. I think for both of you guys and anybody who likes listening to podcasts, um, it's a really interesting experience. I just love how trippy it is. It it doesn't look like anything else on TV. It is absolutely fascinating. So yeah, check yeah, it out. I watched, <clears throat> I watched a few of these and I thought hearing the description of it it was going to be my jam yeah, i was yeah. like this is perfect it's like <clears throat> musings on deep philosophical issues you know the the dr drew episode is all about like, is there a good drug is there yeah. such a thing as good and bad drugs it, it's sort uh, of like my dinner with andre your favorite thing of two people talking but framed right. around like yeah these crazy things happening but like uh, injected with yeah. uh, the sci-fi element but man, it just didn't work for me. Yeah. I wanted to love it. And it, the, the, what you're looking at and what you're hearing are so disparate. <laughs> it's like, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no linking. It is literally just, you know, like for example, that first episode, mm -hmm. you're watching a zombie apocalypse and you're watching the president of the United States shoot zombies in the head from the roof of the white house uh -huh. animated in this you know very abstract he's very style. chill about it too like he's not he's yeah. not like well worried. he's chill about it because the audio is from him talking about yeah from a podcast that had nothing to do with any of this and then they like <laughs> recorded little bits where he's you know he'll be like oh you know pick up that gun or you know the zombies are coming or whatever it is but there's these tiny little linking bits but most of the show yeah is this audio that was not ever intended to have these visuals in, in front of it mm -hmm. which is such a cool idea but ultimately just it didn't fuse together into any it didn't add up to anything yeah greater than the sum of its parts for That's me and I, I wanted fair. it to i yeah. really wanted it to it's it's yeah. a very specific mood it feels like the ultimate adult swim show of like you know adult swim has always been great about having like a really interesting unique animated things this feels like going kind of all the way with even like higher production and 
It is very weird. I just kind of love that we're at a time where something weird like this can exist. And like, maybe it's for like, you know, a very small niche population, but I I am among that and I'm digging it. Um, Yeah, I don't know if it changes much. I haven't finished it, Jeff, but yeah, I'm glad you gave it a shot. Maybe maybe it's the Capone of animated uh, series. Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I had the same reaction as Jeff. I I had heard amazing things about the Midnight Gospel on Netflix. And um, then I uh, started watching it and I was like, this isn't for me. I I was like, I got 10 minutes in. I'm like, no, I'm I'm not going to do this. Sorry. It's just too much. Uh, It's just not not for me. It's not for me. I'm not saying it's not good. It's just not for me. It's one of those things that also shows the full, like, the limitless potential of animation. You could just do anything. Yeah. And I just love the style and kind of how they go into it. Every episode looks different. There's so many different creatures and so many different ways they imagine different worlds. Like one of the second one is about like this crazy clown planet. And it is, it's something else. So I, you know, it's something for when I feel like the world is too much. Everything is too crazy. I can sit down and I, and like look at this weird exploration of life and meaning and you know crazy animation so i'm enjoying it in that respect all right uh that's the midnight gospel and the eddie on netflix jeff what have you been watching this week well i'll start with uh an animated show that i watched that's called solar opposites uh-huh. uh th- this is uh the new show from justin roiland of uh, rick and morty fame and you know how I don't, you guys are old enough to remember when uh, The Simpsons was going strong. For sure. And then all of a sudden they announced they were going to do a sci-fi Simpsons. They're going to do this <laughs> show called Futurama. Yeah. The one about like, the killer, the sassy robot that we've always been hearing about. Yeah. 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 And they announced it. And uh, I, for one, tuned in. I know a lot of people absolutely adore Futurama. But when I tuned in, I was like, oh, this is just like The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. It just felt a little too... It was weird. It it lived in the same animation style, but it was different. It was the same, but different. You know, I never got into Futurama is what I'm saying, but a lot of people did. Now, imagine if Futurama was introduced, but it was about a slightly overweight, balding, dumb father (laughs) and his uh, wife who has really tall hair and... uh, uh, two kids one is a smart girl and the other is a kind of a, a smart aleck boy uh, but it was in space and it had exactly the same animation style <laughs> i mean that's kind of what solar opposites is wow it, it Solar is, opposites so, is that is the show you just described or that's it's it's like that in the sense that it copies another show it is that but to rick and morty i see it's I like see. if you like rick and morty You'll probably like Solar Opposites because it's the same show. <laughs> it is a palette swap for oh, Rick man. and Morty. What? Uh, and I forgot to mention, what if uh, Vutrama also had the same voice actors yeah. doing the same characters, That's but this good. time they're in space. Uh, that is not to say, I, I sound very snarky and pejorative. That is not to say I didn't enjoy Solar Opposites. I liked it very much. I like Rick and Morty very much. It's the same show mm-hmm. with the same voice actors playing the same characters in the same rhythm, doing the same thing. They're aliens in this case, but there's yeah. like a dad alien who's basically Rick. You know, he's He has advanced technology that the humans don't understand, and he talks because he's voiced by the same voice actor. He talks in the same rhythm. It's just, instead of he's talking, you know, like, like, like Rick does, he's just talking in his normal voice, but it's the same pattern of joke. Um, anyway, again, it sounds like I'm being very negative, 
but just because I was kind of shocked that somebody was just like, hey, give us Rick and Morty again. That's surprising. <laughs> like, I, I think the thing that really worked about Futurama, by the way, is that eventually, I think within the first season, it became something very different than The Simpsons. Like, it's meaner. Right. It's snarkier. It has, like, a very different sense of humor at times because they didn't share every single writer. Like, they they did have a lot of new talent. So, like, it began to feel like a very different thing. This, because it's from Justin Roiland, it's all Justin Roiland. I, I guess it's hard to be different, right? It's really good. I I liked it a lot because I like Rick and Morty, yeah, and it yeah. it uh, it has the same feel. So if you like it, I I would give it a shot. I watched it on Hulu. Uh, I think it's a FX on Hulu show. I think I think. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm digging it. It's just really crazy to me that it's yeah you know the same animation style, the same voice actors, the same dynamic of like a younger kid who's going along with the older crazy inventor who doesn't understand humans and it's yeah it's the same dynamic and rick and morty itself started out as like a back to the future sort of like yeah parody type thing so yeah yeah it's doing it again morty is you know doc and marty it's not not a stretch (laughs) (laughs) that's solar opposites on hulu right now what else have you been watching jeff um also watched almost all of dead to me season two i really so good yeah Oh man, I really disagree with that. <laughs> but, oh wow! Uh, uh, we we all enjoyed season one of Dead to Me. I loved season one. Yeah. Loved season one. I do not understand what is going on with season two. Yeah, there. I, I agree. There is a lot because like season one was all about like crazy twists and them like truly, really trying to like ramp up the drama of what's happening. Um, if I was halfway through season two, Jeff, I, w- I would probably agree with you um, because I think it starts strong and kind of st- starts to lag a little. There is some st- great, great stuff towards the end that I think makes it well, worth I it. Really, but, yeah. I wanted to finish it before I talked about it, but yeah. you know, we're taking next week off. And so I just thought I'd bring it up now because I don't know if we're going to finish it. My wife and I are like, it's a short, you know, half an hour episodes. Mm-hmm. We probably will. But we've, th- the first episode back, I felt like it just retconned itself. It's so weird. It, d- it does oh, a weird thing. Yeah. It does a mm. super weird thing. Like, yeah. what are you doing, show? You set up this amazing <laughs> cliffhanger at the end of season one, which I yeah. won't reveal. But at the, at the beginning of season two, they're like, eh, nah, nah. <laughs> I, I found right. that kind of ballsy. Like, now I did find it kind of watch the first episode, yeah. at least. Dude, yeah. it's, so. the che- I, I, it's some, like, soap opera bullshit. You have to it's watch the, the first two episodes of the new season, actually, Dave, to understand okay. what Yeah, happens. the first two episodes. Oh, well, uh, yeah, yeah, the first two episodes, for sure. Because the second episode is the one where they're like, this is what we're doing. And you're, yeah. I'm like, this is what you're doing. Like, yeah, this is what we're doing. <laughs> it is yeah. weird. Right. It's weird and soap opery. I will say, like, depending on how far along you are, Jeff, like, the second, I think it's the ninth episode, whatever the second to last episode of the season is, is tremendous. Like, there right, is some, like, that. there is some, like, Emmy-level work there where I think, like, the craziness just kind of comes home basically and they have to like reckon with everything that's happening and i found it astounding great performances from everybody but especially you know linda carlini who i love yeah no i mean we're gonna be talking about linda carlini a lot this episode she's great she's always great uh i love christina applegate in this i thought the first season i thought she deserved an emmy like i Uh was so high on this show could not wait for season two to start and i just feel like they weren't they didn't even honor what they set up it's right, like right 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 you set up this really tantalizing season two <laughs> premise and then they're just like eh, we don't want to do that we don't want to do that mm. we we screwed up i'm sorry eh, forget we did that you know it's 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 crazy to me and ultimately it felt 
cheap and not as interesting. And then they introduce these new characters that I feel like is very shoehorned in. I, I don't know. I just feel like I hope it comes. It it circles around by the end <laughs> of the season. And I'm loving the exact it. same complaint I had about Ozark season three. Remember? <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, I'm like, it's so oh, true. man. So now I need to I need to watch just to understand what Jeff's opinion of a shoehorned in character I, I think, is. I think you'd have many opinions on this season, Dave. So <laughs> right, I hope you yeah. guys watch it. I do want to say it is very I love that Natalie Morales is in this because I love her as an actor and I love seeing her and everything. And like she forms a friendship with Linda Carlini, which is it is so it feels like a thing that was made specifically for me. Like here are two actors I've always enjoyed. I feel like they elevate everything. They kind of anything they touch, they kind of make it a little better. And to see them be, you know, be friends and be chummy on a show together. I don't know. Felt like somebody just peeked into my brain there. All right. Um, well, uh, Jeff, anything else to be watching real quick? Yeah. The thing I've been watching most, honestly, uh, real quickly, is uh, something that was suggested to me by a friend of the show, Danish Syed, who uh, is awesome with giving me great recommendations of things to watch. This is actually a YouTube series. Mm. And this is not somebody that needs uh, any recommendation from me. He's got multiple millions of subscribers. Have you guys ever heard of Luke Toen? No, I haven't. No. Okay, this is a YouTube channel, Luke Toen. It's a YouTube channel all about building models, building very high quality, photorealistic, like railroad set scale models. And it is hours of content. He's a he's an Australian guy. He's got this very listenable Australian accent, very calming, very serene, and he just steps you through, through this process that is intricate detailed patient and completely watchable from my point of view this is peak coronavirus content right here for me this is <laughs> lockdown quarantine ease my mind at the end of the night i've watched so many hours of this guy just it's the easy recommend the easy comparison is bob ross but it's not bob ross like bob ross is all about um you know right. happy little trees and kind of creating this you know, um, reassuring environment. Luke Toen doesn't care about that. He's just explaining what he's doing. He's explaining to you, assuming that you want to do what he does. What he does is so far beyond my skill set that it is, I can't even, like, there are things that he does in this that require so much patience and attention to detail. And I'm like, I, but I love watching it. I am not that guy. I could never do any of this stuff. <laughs> Because he's like, he's got an exacto knife and he's cutting these tiny little things out. And then yeah. I don't, don't know how model right builders color. work, honestly. Like, I, I cannot conceive <sighs> of having that attention to detail. It's insane. It is so wonderful to watch it right now, though. It puts my mind at ease. It's like his control over his little world that he is step by step working through. There's a beginning, a middle, and end. It all makes sense. It's all beautiful. The, the, creations that he comes up with are mind-bogglingly complex and you know he shoots them in a way when he's done with them he shoots them in a way where you would go oh that's a real full-size real thing that he just took a picture of but it's this tiny little model he made anyway i highly recommend it if you are like me and have an addled brain during this time and you know things that you used to enjoy you can't quite focus on and you know dark <laughs> entertainment feels a little too dark right now oh let me introduce you to Luke Toen. It just it just makes me so happy to watch this process unfold in front of me. And he's great. It's great. Great. 
That's Luke Towen on YouTube, uh, T-O-W-A-N. And yeah, some good competence porn. You know, we could all use <laughs> Definitely. some of that. We could all use some of that. Hey, let me just jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Hunt a Killer. If you like TV procedurals, if you're into awesome shows that draw you in and make you try to figure out who done it, you're trying to hunt a killer on these TV shows, well, now you can hunt a killer yourselves. This is an awesome alternative to yet another streaming show or <laughs> getting into a, another movie whodunit. You can actually be the detective. You can actually have a cool game night with your with your friends, your, your uh, spouse. It's a great way to engage your mind and actually think things through and do something different. We're all looking for different things to do now. What a cool thing would be able to uh, hop onto Zoom perhaps and do this with a neighbor or even better, people you live with. If you are if you live with a significant other, man, this is awesome. My wife and I did Hunt a Killer uh, a couple of months in a row and it's cool because the story continues. You're actually solving this case. You get this box in the mail that's got all kinds of cool uh, physical materials that you sort of work, work through and put the clues together and solve a mystery and then the story continues the next time it's the it's like a subscription to a awesome ongoing procedural drama uh, where you are the detective. It's pretty a cool. Um, so it makes for a, you know a great date night. It great makes for a great game night. It makes for a great night in by yourself. You can play the solo as well. It's pretty awesome. It's got over two thousand five star reviews on Trustpilot. I wonder why people love them so much. It's super fun to play. It's easy to play, whether you're solo or with a family and friends. And part of the proceeds of every box of Hunt a Killer go to the Cold Case Foundation, an organization that is dedicated to helping with real-life cold cases. So you're actually doing something cool with your subscription as well. And right now, just for our listeners, you can go to huntakiller.com slash filmcast and use promo code filmcast at checkout for 20% off your first box Head to huntakiller.com slash filmcast for 20% off and a show to support for the podcast. That's H-U-N-T-A-K-I-L-L-E-R.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Huntakiller.com slash filmcast. Before we move on, we got to thank the people who donated to this podcast. Um, big thanks to uh, subscribers at the rate of $2 per month, William Wright, Mickey Gami, and Armando Ferrari. Ferrari is a pretty cool name, I think, pretty badass. Um, also thanks to donors Stephen Theus, Stuart Lindsay from Aurora, Canada, Salvatore Monardo from Point Pleasant, New Jersey, very generous donation, and Gabe from Manchester, England, also very generous donation. Appreciate you guys. Um, thanks also to Abe Sutton, who writes in, gentlemen, I write to you from the battlefield at Gettysburg as we prepare to cross the threshold and clash with our brethren from the south. Our rations are thin and the bitter cold would chill the bones of even the strongest among us. To pass the time, we act out moving pictures within our platoon and look forward to the commentary from you three noblemen to add much needed nuance to our charades. Dave, I beg you, please read this message to thine listeners with great haste as our time on this earth may be short. Abe Sutton, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, June 30th, 1863. The point he's trying to make is that uh, he sent this a long time ago, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> sent this a long time ago. That is correct, Jeff. I think you're right. About that. <laughs> uh, Just getting it, around to reading it now. <laughs> sent it a long time ago. If you are uh, interested in supporting the show with a donation, just go to paypal.me slash filmcast, paypal.me 
slash the word filmcast. It's a tough time for everyone right now, so do not donate if it in any way causes you any hardship whatsoever. If you want to support us by doing uh, something that can be done for free, go to the Apple Podcast link and leave us a review or a star rating. It just takes a few seconds. We would really appreciate it. All that said, let's get to our review of Capone. Do you know what the difference is between Adolf Hitler and Al Capone? Hitler's dead. Capone lives like a king in Florida. He has full-blown dementia. I have reason to believe it could all be an elaborate act. What's this about? We have information that your client may have tucked away a very large sum of money. Drop the act now. Got goons walking around. That was from the trailer for Capone, the newest film written and directed by Josh Trank. Joining us today for our review of Capone, he is the managing editor of Birth Movies Death, as well as the co-host of the King Cast. Scott Wampler, welcome to the Slash Filmcast for the first time. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm living the dream. Thank you for having me. So, oh, yeah. Scott, uh, congrats on the launch of your new podcast. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's been going uh, uh, better than we imagined. Uh, so tell us about the KingCast. Well, um, about a year ago, my uh, colleague, Eric Vespi, formerly of Ain't It Cool News and, and now a full-time freelancer, uh, he invited me out to lunch and pitched me on the idea of the show that is essentially, um, it's kind of a combination uh, book club slash movie review show in that uh, each episode tackles a specific Stephen King adaptation. So we cover the original text, be it a short story or a novel, as well as the resulting film or TV show or limited series, what have you. And the hook to the whole thing is that we let our guests choose whichever adaptation they want to talk about. Uh, very cool. And I think you have a pretty cool first guest for your first episode, right? Yes. Uh, our first episode went live earlier this week with uh, Kamel Nanjiani. Kamel went with uh, The Running Man after a lot of, oh, a lot wow. of back and forth. He, um, <laughs> he originally wanted to come on and do It with, uh, with his wife, Emily Gordon. Um, but she's got her hands full with uh, this, this thing she's working on for Netflix. And... Um, neither one of them uh, had the time to reread a 900 page book. Uh, so, so then he, he was kicking around a few other ideas, but ultimately landed on the running man. And we were super excited because we were hoping somebody uh, funny would pick that one. And we, we were thrilled that we could lead with that. And so far we've, I think we've recorded half a dozen episodes and we've got another 15 or so scheduled over the next, uh, next month or two, um, big guests. Um, some of the titles are curveballs. Uh, some of the, some of the episodes are funny. Some of them are more serious, kind of depends on the guest kind of depends on the property, but, um, all of them are, are really fun to listen to. So we're, we're excited to finally have it out there and we think people are going to continue to enjoy it. Well, very you, gotta, cool. you gotta get those, those guests are probably, uh, lining up to be early guests so they can Use up all the short stories, you know? <laughs> Get yeah, all the I would hate to be the there. person stuck with the stand, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. Um, well, there's so many. Or, there's so many short stories. Come on. There's a yeah, ton. Yeah. Like if you if you go look up just Stephen King adaptations, there's like a list of them on on Wikipedia. And uh it's a depressingly long list. Uh we're gonna be at this until we're very old men. Um awesome. but uh the, we figure that sooner or later we're gonna run into an issue where um 
a guest is going to say, I'll do it, but only if I can do this property. And it's something that we've already done. Right. When that happens, I think what we'll do is have them focus on a specific element of the adaptation that maybe didn't get as much attention the first time around. So you've already thought through the sustainability of the podcast. I'm impressed. Yes. (laughs) Um, Um, A lot of we've been working on this for a year. You know, this is uh, this is a thing that uh, has we've really put time into this thing. And um, I wouldn't know what it's like to put that into a podcast. So, uh, I'm, but I'm glad that uh, this is now in the world. You can check it out wherever your podcast can be found. It's the King Cast with Scott Wampler and Eric Vespi. Uh, so, congrats on launch. But uh, let's talk about the film that we're talking about today, which is Stephen King esque, dare I say, uh, in terms <laughs> of its construction. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll say that before we begin uh, talking about Capone. Uh, that this is a movie that is very difficult to spoil. I would say uh, not very much happens in this movie, and <laughs> That's so a good way to put it. Yeah. So I think that uh, there's not very much plot. It's not a very plot-driven film. I would say. Yeah. Not, not um, much. It's not strong on. It's yeah. not strong on content or mm. reasons to watch it or. <laughs> <laughs> so consistency. Uh, yeah. Takeaways. <laughs> Yeah, so so it's about Al Capone in the last year of his life, suffering from dementia, uh, and uh, so we'll just say right up top that we're probably going to give details from throughout the film, right near from the beginning of this review. So if you don't want to be spoiled on Capone, you don't think you're ever going to watch the movie, uh, or I'm sorry, if you if you don't want to spoil on the Capone, then you know just wait until you've seen it, but. Otherwise, I've seen a lot of people say that they're not going to watch the movie. They're going to listen to the review anyway. Just know that we're going to spoil it from right now. So, uh, all right, let's get into it, shall we? Scott, I really enjoyed your review of this movie over at Birth Movies Death. What did Thank you, you think of Capone? I loved it. I um, I did not expect to love it. I, I thought I would like it because um, I had talked to uh, some of our colleagues that saw it over the last couple of weeks, you know, uh, be it screeners or whatever. And... Um, they people kept coming to me and saying, you specifically are going to love this movie. And um, I didn't know how to take that. Um, but I had enough of be- enough people who know my tastes um, and know what I kind of respond to in terms of film that I was pretty sure I was at least going to like it. But I, I genuinely loved it. And I, I thought it was really interesting and uh, a breath of fresh air after some of the bullshit I've been watching in, in, in quarantine. Can you, do you mind sharing like what some of that bullshit is? Because when I read your review, I get the sense that uh, you are not a fan of uh, some middle of the road, not super ambitious efforts that you've been consuming lately. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to play the game of, I saw this and this is better than that. Right. Because they, they truly are apples and oranges. You know, I could name films, but I think that I've seen recently that I just didn't like. Um, but it, it's sort of an apples and oranges situation, and I, I don't think it's fair to the to the filmmakers. But um, I'll just say that I've been watching a lot of Netflix originals and uh, catching up with titles that I didn't bother with the first time around when they were in theaters. And a lot of what I've been watching is just like, eh, that's okay. But that's also my reaction to to many movies and it's why I don't really like Mm -hmm. reviewing movies is that um, as much as I love film, I find the vast majority of movies to just be, yeah, that was, that was pretty good. You know, it's, it's, it takes something very specific for me to be like, Oh my God, you know? And um, 
So this, I don't know if I would have reacted to it as strongly if uh, I hadn't been locked up in my house for the past two months. But I, I do know that uh, I genuinely appreciated what they were going for here. And I think I think that he pulled it off. Yeah, I definitely relate with what you're saying about most movies just being eh, pretty good, right? Uh, right? Especially after doing this for 12 years. I, yeah. I, I think you're, we're lucky if we have a stretch where you watch a bunch of movies that are eh, pretty good, you know? So that tells yeah. you about uh, what happens the rest of the time. But uh, I, I I would also say, Scott, you know, you said you might not have appreciated it as much uh, if you hadn't spent the last yeah, few months locked up. But I, I, I would actually say for me personally, I don't know about you, but... Um, having done this podcast now for over a decade and reviewing movies every week, if I hadn't done that, like in an alternate universe where I hadn't been doing that, um, maybe I would also not appreciate this movie as much. Right. Which is is to say that because we watch a movie, at least a movie a week, um, when something is very different from the thing we typically watch, right. It's it's notable. It's it's just for for the novelty sake. It makes, it makes you feel something in this. It makes you feel something. It makes you feel something. Exactly. Exactly. uh, That's what happened with me when I watched this movie. I I, I basically read your review, Scott, and I just thought like, I agree with pretty much every single word in this review. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really appreciate the movie as well. But Devendra, tell us what your reaction was to Josh Trank's Capone. Oh, I, uh, I hated this movie. I hate <laughs> everything about this movie. Um, it feels to me like a student film. And it feels like <laughs> at some point, Josh Trank, I, I've read like uh, Matt Patch's excellent, very long uh, post about him, the post-disaster artist over at Polygon. That that po- like that story was four years in the making. So go check that out. Incredible. But maybe piece. we should maybe we should yeah. talk a little bit about that actually yeah. before we get into this because um, that's the history. That's the context leading up to this movie. Yeah. Right. So uh, like an extremely abridged version of the story, and you guys can bring up any relevant details, is that Josh Trank made a movie called Chronicle. Which uh, I love. And I think, I think the we budget all of love. that movie yeah. was Such a cool about, movie. about $12 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie grossed over $100 million internationally. And then the offers started rolling in. Uh, I mean, he's like, he's directing a superhero movie, Fantastic Four. He He's directing a Boba Fett movie, one of the most... Uh, for some reason, respected characters in all of Star Wars. <laughs> uh, and so, can you imagine being in your 20s, right? And then, like, all this stuff just starts pouring in. Uh, it is uh, it is a lot to take in, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he had a difficult time handling it, is re- really where, what it comes down to. Um, and uh, the Star Wars thing, he was, he was basically removed from that project. Uh, Fantastic Four was was basically a disaster. From what I could tell from the article, the movie was taken away from him. Like the, the control was taken away from him sure. in terms of uh, the edit and final cut. The, um, the context of that though, is that he wasn't making the movie. So it's <laughs> yeah. like they were trying to finish the movie. Like, dude, we, we need a script. We, we need endings. Like we need stuff. And he wasn't doing it. So the studio had to do it. So yeah. Yeah. So good, good call out there Devendra. And then uh-huh. he's basically been kind of incubating this Capone movie for, uh, for years in the time since then. Um, and this was kind of like the fact that he was able to get together a budget for this. Yeah. The cast is awesome. He's this back maybe. All right, this is kind of his his re-entry back into the world of directors. Um, and yeah, well, you know, so all that said, are, yeah. if there are any other relevant things for this conversation, feel free to bring them up throughout. But 
Given that, I, I think you were rooting for this to be good, right, Devendra? I right? mean, I listen, I want every movie to be good. And I think the running joke is I, I tend to like more things than you guys do, or at least be a little more, uh, I don't know, a little more or a more charitable to bad movies or like middling movies. And to me, like this is a movie I hate for a lot of reasons because it is a miserable experience. For the audience, for, I don't know, the actors themselves. I, I feel like Tom Hardy just loves putting himself in these things, though. Like, this is another Venom-esque situation for him where, you know, he doesn't have a good script or much to work with. But he can be, you know, he could just be absolutely insane. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in his head, but I feel like Tom Hardy had fun. I did not have fun watching this movie because it is, um, this is a really interesting subject. Al Capone suffered from neurosyphilis for most of his life. It ate at his brain. You know, the the things you could do with that concept. And let me tell you, the uh, the Drunk History segment, it's four minutes long, starring Joe Latrugalio, is a better movie than this movie in terms of, like, exploring the insanity of, you know, Chicago's greatest mob boss literally being an idiot because his brain was eaten away by an STD. And this movie doesn't do anything with that except um it tries to like explore the internal i don't know workings of capone and the guilt he faces from the you know terrible things he's done it tries to go weird in a lot of ways and i feel like some of those segments those are what feel like student film things for me like it feels like oh if i had five minutes for my thesis film if I could create like a crazy dream sequence to show me what was going on in Al Capone's mind in his final year, that would be interesting. I don't think it's interesting as a nearly what two hour movie. It's at least over 90 minutes. It's a very long movie, but I don't feel like there's much connecting me to this thing. And let me tell you guys, I love movies. I love slow plotting movies where not much happens. Like I, that can be my jam and also yeah, you're a big uh, patterson fan for instance well right? i love patterson i love uh, jim jarmusch in general like i will go to bat for the limits of control which is a messy messy movie but has so many things i enjoy this movie has has nothing it really has nothing it has tom hardy being crazy it has linda carlini being just kind of kind of wasted and you know we we, we talked about uh what was it dead to me season two where she is so good she is such a good actor, and this movie just completely erases the life from her and kind of what she does. So here's the thing. I also love movies about terrible people doing terrible things. And I'd look at like Vox Lux or Her Smell, two movies about very, very grating, hard to like people that I think explored some interesting themes. And did you, did you like us, those movies, Devendra? I think they're interesting. I wouldn't say I like I didn't love Vox Lux. But I think it's an interesting movie that does a lot, whereas this one just feels completely uninterested in telling me anything, like in actually exploring anything other than, you know, Josh Trank had this trippy idea for an Al Capone dream sequence at one point and decided to make a movie out of it. So, yeah, I, I didn't have much, you know, really positive things to take away from this movie. I will say it does feel like the perfect quarantine movie. Because this movie is basically Al Capone trapped in a, you know, in his house, just shouting at demons and imaginary, you know, agents and whatnot. We are all Al Capone wearing diapers, shitting in our beds. That's my takeaway. I think that's a little dismissive. Um, <laughs> and in in two pretty key ways, one of which is why would someone even make this movie to begin with? 
That's a good um, question. You know, uh, you have a, 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 a an iconic American gangster, you know, with with a storied history, and you've chosen to. Um, and by you, I mean Josh Trank, not you, Devin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you didn't make this movie, as far as I know. Uh, you've chosen to to build a whole movie around the year in his life where he was basically, you know, other uh, just feeble and sitting in a chair and what's going on in his head. I think from the get-go, uh, that's interesting. You know, like, why would anybody do this? And the fact that Josh Trank, of all people, did this, I find doubly interesting. Like... After everything he's been through in the past 10 years, some of which was quite obviously, you know, uh, that's that's his fault. You know, the way he he reacted to things. I think that for him to have gone through that and he comes out the other side of it and says, OK, here's my next project. It's going to be Tom Hardy as Al Capone. And he's you're not going to understand half of what he's fucking saying half the time. And he's just going to have these hallucinations. I think that's fascinating. And then, I will, give me give me more hallucinations though. Like if you're going to go crazy, go crazy. If we're going to go nuts, let's I go hear, nuts. Okay, I hear you on that yeah. point, and I could have used even a little more surreality to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But also, this wasn't a hundred million dollar movie. That I'm sure that they were con- <laughs> constrained by you know whatever they were working with. So David, I'll, David I'll, Lynch doesn't need a huge budget to give us surreal, right? He will give us. You know, no, a room fair. with a single chair and freak us the hell out. Like that's that's really what I'm getting at. Like if you're gonna go crazy, go give me get, go all the way. That's the fair. comparison is very good but, though. Um, the cinematographer on this movie is is a cinematographer that re- frequently works with David Lynch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So I I did feel it, it honestly reminded me quite a bit of um uh, uh Twin Peaks the Return. You know, like the the look of this uh this movie. Um. But Jeff Kanata. I, I got to ask you, uh, what did you think of Capone? Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess my thoughts about Capone are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Jeff has a voice box. Yeah. Are you ready? Uh, so maybe we should explain the limerick thing to Scott, who may not oh, be aware uh, of it. The short story is Dave is a monster and uh, rules this podcast with an iron hand. He forces me every week to come up with a limerick. I don't want to do it. I sure it's a lot of work. It is uh, exhausting. And Dave says, if I don't do it, he will leave the podcast. I'm doing it to keep him on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems have- to me like Dave is creating an aggressive and hostile work environment. And that, Thank this, you. Is, that this is bullying. And frankly, uh, Dave, you're canceled. I'm sorry. It's happened. Thank you. It's Thank done. you. Finally, someone's speaking truth to power. Yes. You know what I'm saying? We don't have an HR department at Slash Filmcast, or I would have reported this long time ago. Uh, let's see the limerick, Jeff. I actually have two this week. What? Two. All right, here's, here's the first one. Sometimes when you are a critic, you have to ask what analytic gets a movie greenlighted. Were they really excited for Capone dying syphilitic? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Pretty good. Yes. Amazing. That was I've changed great. my mind. Dave is uncanceled. I think this is the next <laughs> one. No, it's all, it's all going wrong. Uh, all right, here's the second one. If a guy is historically known as a gangster and all that you've shown is the poop and the piss from the syphilis, you can't call your movie Capone. <laughs> uh, Jeff, this is some of your greatest work of all yeah. time. Rhyming syphilis is difficult. Thank it, you. It's, it's what my grandmother uh, always used to say. 
<laughs> rhyming syphilis is hard. That's yeah. <laughs> strange um, woman. Strange woman. First of all, I'm, if it wasn't already made very clear, I'm on team Devendra on this one. Um, but I want to say also the second limerick is a side thing, but, but it very important to me. I, I really, it really ticks me off when the biopic, <laughs> this is the same issue I had with Lincoln. Right. You can't call your movie Lincoln. <laughs> if you're talking about like two weeks of his life, you know, your movie isn't Lincoln. It's Lincoln. No, this isn't the, well, I think you, you can like explore themes. You can explore a person through a sliver of their life. Like that is okay. It's done in a lot of ways. I would way prefer two weeks of Lincoln's life than like a movie that attempts to tell his whole life. I think those movies are terrible. I just feel like if you're, you call that movie, you know, the ratification of the, what it it, just give me a different title. You're (laughs) one of the marketing geniuses that came up with Lincoln. I don't know. I don't know if you know this, but Capone wasn't the title of this movie. It was, I know. And I think Fonzo is, Man, what if a movie points, is called with that title? It points to the bonkers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Fonzo was a way more appropriate name for this movie. Yes. yes. Yeah. And when it was so, in production, everyone was like, "Oh, why is it called Fonzo? This sounds stupid." But like now that you've seen it, it's like, "Oh, well, that makes perfect oh, sense." because the movie is stupid. I get <laughs> it. No, no, no. <laughs> no I think it's. Me- I think it's taking the piss out of Capone to call it Fonzo, and I think it communicates uh, mm. the the. Um, Capone is a name with power to it, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like that's that's yeah. an iconic name. There's there's only one Capone, you know. Um, Fonzo sounds like a movie about a Muppet. Yeah, you know, the and, and that's sort uh, of Fozzie and Bear and Gonzo. Yeah, and that is what uh, uh, Capone is reduced to in this movie. So I think I, I I do agree with you that that Capone is the wrong title for this movie. But I I think that if it were called Fonzo, it might be. It, it might serve as a warning to what you're about to watch. <laughs> I think that's absolutely right. I think that would be a better title. I Anyway, that's that's one of my little pet peeve about biopics that are just like, hey, here's a day in his life. It's a, the, the name. You know, it's, I don't know. Anyway, overall, but I will also, say. I'm sorry to interrupt again, but also, don't you think that, uh, isn't it, I don't know. I find it more interesting when, when a biopic kind of uh, centers in on a specific event, because what I find with standard biopics is, they all follow the same goddamn formula every yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, I mean, pretty much ruined. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, not a fault of the I was going to say, like, it's it's so prevalent that they were able to make Walk Hard, which is a parody of that formula. And I, 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 Scott, I think Jeff is just very specifically ticked off at using the name <laughs> in the title. He doesn't care about what you're saying. It's just, yes. it's just literally the name in the title that bothers him. It feels I, like I, I kind, kind of agree with him book. on this, though. Capone is just the wrong title for this movie. If right. I picked up a book that was called <laughs> Lincoln, I would want to know all about Lincoln. If I picked up a book about, if I picked up a book, if I rented a movie based on the title and it said Capone, I I wouldn't expect to be required to know who this dude was in order to understand the movie. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. This movie does not explain who Capone is in any way. (laughs) You know, you have to have back knowledge even to understand the context of this movie, but that's not even the thing that pisses me off about this movie the most. That was just a side little thing. It got a second limerick. Okay. Here's what I really think about this movie. It's totally exactly the same as, as Devendra. And I actually, I really am glad, Scott, that you like it. I am. I would never, mm-hmm. 
yuck anybody's yum. Totally, I, I'm totally. glad that you dig it. But it seems to me in hearing you that what you like about it is all a meta story that really isn't the movie. No, that's, you, you can, that's an element you, of it for sure. That that makes it interesting to me to begin with. But right. I also genuinely thought that um, there's some great filmmaking on display here. Yeah, there's I some agree. There's some truly uh, impressive work here that uh, it, it sometimes verges into the nightmarish. Um, look, you don't make a movie that we can sit here and say, yeah, it's kind of Lynchian and have that not be something. You know, yeah, they, there's yeah. something, there's something I elemental I going think, on here. I think this movie is not anything. I don't think it, I took nothing away from it. I, I, I will tell you, I am a huge fan of Tom Hardy. I, he's in two of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Fury Road and The Revenant. I think his work is frequently brilliant. At no point in watching this movie was I not watching someone acting. At no point did yeah. I ever think of Capone as a person or that I was watching a portrayal of a person. At no point I was watching, I watched uh, uh, Linda Cardellini and thought, hey, that looks, that seems like a person. In fact, most of the other people in this film seemed like people that, that were in situations. And the lead of this movie what was a Muppet. It was a cartoon. It, it, there's, at no point did I ever buy that I was not looking at a person under makeup Right, doing a goopy right. voice. Mm -hmm. the, it, I, I think that performance or how it was shot or wh how, whatever you want to say is a complete failure. It fails on the most fundamental level of suspension of disbelief. I don't, at no point was I curious about what this person was going through all because I never believed it was anything other than a, a, a kind of a dumb show. You know, it was just this kind of, goofy thing from the start and i listen i like when actors take big swings i think you know there are fascinating performances that are outside the box and weird and i you know i i praised what he did in venom like it made the movie interesting it's kind of goofy and weird but th this to me just undermines the the fabric of the movie and the fabric wasn't particularly well sewn anyway it, it there as you said dave nothing really happens i don't understand why I'm watching any of this, what I'm supposed to take away other than, you know, w w dementia is rough. I, I, I truly don't understand what this movie is attempting to communicate to me. I um, interpreted it as, I interpreted Capone himself as a symbol and that what's being communicated here is the idea of almost, almost like a, uh, the implosion of the American dream is, is happening here. You know, you're, you're watching this guy who, who had it all. He was ruthless. He stepped over wherever he had to, to get there, uh, killed a lot of people. Um, but he's living in this big mansion. He, he had all the power and money and, and excess that you could want. And this is where it got him. And to me, you know, I do think the movie is taking the piss out of Capone a little bit. And I think it's also saying something about that. And if you if you watch this as a surface level thing, um, I can imagine not liking it. But I also think like this is just not a movie for most people. I think that, you know, 70 percent of the people that watch this movie aren't going to like it. But I think that people that are in this very specific wavelength that do like watching Tom Hardy in gonzo mode and, and do appreciate uh, the, the more intangible 
aspects of what's of of what's happening here. I think it's the people the people I've talked to that enjoyed it really, really, really liked it. Most of the people that I've well, not anyone I know except for <laughs> you guys and some of the people on Twitter um, were were so vehemently against it. I, I it's just a it's a wavelength movie. You're there, you're not, and so uh, yeah. In your review, Scott, you brought up a couple of other great examples of movies like this uh, where it's extremely polarizing. One of them is Darren Aronofsky's Mother. Yes, uh, which is also not which, for everyone. which I loved. Uh, yeah, and another one, Jeff Kanata, is The Counselor. Which is a movie that you also loved, and the entire world seemed to dislike as well. I love yes. the counselor. Love this the counselor. is a lot of people's the counselor, Jeff. Yeah, you know? fair the, enough. The, I, the, you know, like I said, I would never yuck anybody's yum, and I, I, I'm glad that someone got something out of this. I think it sounds to me like it's a very charitable. Uh, you're giving a gift to the movie to say to to um, walk in with interpretations that are um mind from the meta level it's it, you know saying oh wow, this must be about josh trank and all the information that i have about him no uh, I you bring that i yeah, mean again i think you're over- not solely that it's not yeah, solely that i think yep. you're overselling my my observation there um, Fair enough. and and also uh i do approach movies in in a in a way where i'm taking a lot of shit into into context i I watch a movie a day, at least, usually two. I see a lot of shit, you know? Um, I know I know a, 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 an interesting movie when I see one. And and this this one just interested me. Um, Fair enough. I, and, I, and, listen, I also, and I also think it's, <laughs> it's ironic that you say that, you know, uh, that uh, I might be being overly charitable by coming to the table by having this meta read on it, which, you know, is, is very minimal to my overall opinion of the movie. But... I also think that there's maybe a little element and maybe not anyone in this room uh, or on this Zencast, I should say. Um, <laughs> but I do feel like like I read some of the negative reviews and they were so overstated and so yeah. um, hyperbolic Vicious. in. It, yeah, I don't want to be the guy that's like some of these guys kind of had the knives out for this thing before they saw it. huh? But there's. Also, I read a couple of reviews where I don't know how you come up with that review unless there wasn't some of that going on there. Because I, 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 well, I will tell of, you, I, I will I tell you that. that I, though. But yeah, go, go ahead, Jeff. I was just going to say w- w- what Dave said. I think to Devendra is, applies to me. I was very much rooting for this movie. I'm rooting for Josh Trank. I think it would be amazing to have this dude yeah. come back and be great. You know, because I did yeah. like Chronicle. I did like Chronicle, and I was so excited for that Fantastic Four movie. I didn't think that he could make something I would like less than that, and then he did. Uh, I, I was very much rooting for this movie to be great. In fact, I think I was one of the people that was pushing for us to review it because I was hoping that it would be awesome. I thought the cast was amazing. I'd lo- I, Tom Hardy as Capone? Yes, sign me up. I just, uh, I just, I found it to be just completely lacking of any substance whatsoever it sure it's a psychological trip into a a a mind that is damaged but to what end and Mm -hmm. it it brings up all of these things and just completely has no interest in following through on any of them it it doesn't seem to hold together maybe i am just um undereducated in movies or, or or whatever but i i took nothing from this that seemed I, I wanted i kept searching for something to hold on to at a certain point it like the movie kind of raises like oh is he 
pretending to have dementia? Is it all a big act? And then just kind of abandons that idea. And then there's this like $10 million. Where's this $10 million thing? And then that doesn't, it isn't anything. It's the movie. I love that about it. I love that it introduces these plot threads and you think like, yeah, your reaction as an audience member is to react to those as, okay, now we're hitting what the thread of this movie is going to be. And it does that a few times, like with the illegitimate son that appears to be you know, working with right. the feds and, and the money and, and what know, are we supposed to get from it? that resolution? Like, what is that last scene? What is even, is that, what are we supposed to, is it some sort of redemptive moment for him? He, do, he does nothing to earn it. There's nothing, there's no, there's no progression between. And is it even real call. though? Is it right, real? Right. You know, that's the, it's, that's the question. What I'm, what, what I'm trying to communicate away is, from that, that? is that I don't, I look, I don't think you're, you're somebody that came to this movie, uh, wanting to dislike it. You've, you've convinced me as such, but, uh, I just don't think you're on this movie's wavelength and, and, and that's fine. I like, I, this isn't a movie where like, okay. Like Mad Max Fury Road. Mm -hmm. If you tell me Mad Max Fury Road is a bad movie, I'm just like, fuck you. And I know not to listen to any this of your further is over. Yeah. Right. movie opinions. <laughs> like I got into, I was at Fantastic Fest one year, and uh, someone introduced me to a like a uh, sort of a film Twitter person, and this guy immediately <laughs> launched into a spiel about how Tarantino can't direct his way out of a paper bag. Mm. And he was mid sentence. I was like, "All right, nice to meet you," and just walked away because it's like, <laughs> "What the fuck? Like, what do you what do you even say to somebody like that?" You yeah. know, yeah. I don't, I don't think this is that kind of situation, and I, and I respect that most people will will not like it. I it's un, it's unfortunately that you didn't, but I I just don't think you're on the on the wavelength, and so it, I, saying, I don't think you're being petty. I I, I just yeah. want to communicate that I don't think yeah. you're just like fuck this movie. I, I think it, what I'm also trying to get across here too is that the wavelength for this movie is it it is not in a place that I think is I don't think every movie needs to be accessible but this movie right. feels aggressively uh I don't know mean or bleak obtuse. or just like yeah I don't know obtuse like it feels like a movie uh you know shitting on people and their expectations for Josh Trank or something like he 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 doesn't want to give you something that you'd expect. And sometimes that feels like that's what he's shoving it in her, our face. It's I, kind of mean spirited. It's yeah, kind of a mean spirited yeah. movie. It, um, it shits on Capone. It, it does not care. It, it, you know, it doesn't hold the audience's hand. It, uh, you know, it's a, it's not an easy watch, you know? Um, yeah, so I just, I just respect all of that about, a, about a movie. I just, yeah, I, I, I guess I just, I really feel like the Twin Peaks comparison is good. By the way, the cinematographer is uh, Peter Deming uh, mm -hmm. that I referred to earlier and um, also did, I think, Mulholl and Drive as well. Um, but so super talented guy and, uh, and really kind of makes this thing feel very surreal and eerie. I, I mean, I think if you like Twin Peaks The Return, you're going to like this movie, or at least you'll be in the set of people that might like this movie. Yeah. Dave, I um, love Twin Peaks The Return. <laughs> the, return, well, the return is a great example though, yeah. because like I, I have a really good friend who um uh could not get on board with the return because they thought it just looked cheap and you know all the special effects in it which i would argue were they look that way intentionally i don't believe for a second mm -hmm. that david lynch uh is doing something because he can't make it look better you look at that like episode eight of that show and, yeah, and some of the eight. You know, like that's where he like unleashes it. Like 
He knows what it's he's a black doing. and white one, right? Black yes. Yeah. That's where my where my large goth sons, the nine inch nails, appeared. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the high point of the entire series. But but that 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 episode proves that he he knows when to employ uh, impressive special effects versus when he wants them to look like. You know, like when Laura Palmer's mom remo- removes her face in that diner and it looks it looks kind of janky. But I would argue that that was intentional for whatever reason. That's the piece of artwork that that Lynch wanted to make. But this friend of mine, he just cannot get past this. And he's like, fuck the return, which is amazing to me that anyone could be like that. But I get it. That's also a really specific thing. And, you know, either you you're 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 jiving with it or you're not. Mm-hmm. So let me say uh, a few thoughts on this movie. Um, I overall really liked it as well. I think part of it is uh, certainly uh, a small part of it is the meta story with Josh Trank that this movie, I think in some ways describing what has like he is it's autobiographical in a way, right? Where he, he's been exiled and feels like he's going literally insane and um that's kind of the sense I got from reading the profile is that like this movie represents him in some way or a warning uh, to himself about what happens when you do achieve, you know, that, that level of power, you know, there's yeah, so many angles. I'm sorry. Yeah, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's all good. Um, and, uh, the, so my take on this movie is that this is kind of Josh Trank's the Irishman. And, what I mean by that is the Irishman, like very mild spoilers for the Irishman, but in my opinion is about um, the meta story is Scorsese reckoning with this idea of all these gangster movies that he's made where yes, the the official position of those movies like Goodfellas and casinos is that crime doesn't pay. It's bad to be a gangster. Your life ends up in a terrible place, but the movies are so stylish and the actors are so charismatic that many of us can't help but feel drawn to these characters who are, in fact, despicable. And the Irishman, in my opinion, tries to remove that level of mythos. It tries to say, hey, remember that time that you really, you know, that you were quoting Joe Pesci and Goodfellas? Well, like, this is what happens to good, like, Joe Pesci and Goodfellas. Like, this is what happens sure. to those people is they all end up decaying in a nursing home, uh, sharing stories of the glory days completely alone and by the way that's something that's you know revealed at the 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 opening shots of the film so i don't consider it a spoiler here's Um, how i feel about that example though dave because i've seen that written about a lot and yeah there's a lot to say about the irishman but that is a movie that is engaging with those ideas and with those themes and let me let me me finish let me me finish i think that uh josh trank did not have the budget to accomplish something of the Irishman's, he did not have 180 million dollars or however much the hell this movie cost. No, because because this is, um, mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're right that maybe he wouldn't have tried, right, if he had it. It's but, it's not just the budget. A lot of the Irishman's budget went to the CG, went to de aging. You know, like if you can, you could tell this story, you know, much cheaper if you're doing more. Uh, well, true serialism the, doesn't need a huge budget. The, the point I'm, I'm making, though, mm-hmm. is that I like one of the great things about the Irishman is you get to see the rise and fall. Sure, uh, and the rise is not nearly as glamorous as it is in Scorsese's other movies, right? Uh, yeah, when Robert he's De Niro's, a shipping truck guy. Yeah. yeah, when he's like executing people, it's it's really not um, definitely not exciting. Exciting. 
Yeah, not sexy at all. Uh, so, but you don't even get the rise in this movie. You only get glimpses of his former glory in this movie. Uh, and that's, I just think that, like it or not, it is definitely a choice. It's definitely like, we're not even going to show how exciting it was. At the same time, I am very sympathetic to several of Jeff's points. Number one, I do think it's kind of, uh, I agree with all you guys about the name. Like, I do think Capone's a bad name for this movie. It's going to set expectations incorrectly. Uh, it feels like it was like something a marketer came up with and not for the better. Um, I think also that there is, Jeff points to a distinction, a very important distinction between an actor playing a part and a person doing something. Right. And like when you're watching either Tom Hardy pretending to be Capone smoking a cigar or you're watching Capone smoking a cigar. And for most of the movie, I got to agree with Jeff that like I never quite bought that he was this dude because it felt like such an affectation. The performance Mm -hmm. was most of it. And that did hinder my ability to really fully immerse myself in this world because it's just, um, there is this uh, channel, Screen Junkies, on YouTube. And I, I remember at the end of each year, they give these awards out called the Screenies. And uh, one of their awards one year was like most incomprehensible Tom Hardy performance. Uh, and he, they're just listing all the Tom Hardy performances. And you realize like, wow, like for many of his performances, he is speaking in a way that is very difficult to understand. Uh, the Revenant, Jeff mentioned, um even uh like dark Dane, Night rises yeah, yeah. Dark Night rises right uh dunkirk he like it was occasionally difficult to understand because he's shouting into that mask the whole time uh and so uh he, it's definitely always interesting to see like what is what is he what is this guy gonna do next uh and i think that some of it works for me but like particularly i would say the wordless parts work for me i, I would say actually when he has those like uh, contact lenses that show his eyes super like bloodshot and such mm-hmm. and um, you just see him like there's a there's an amazing sequence that is going to haunt me forever uh, where he goes uh, in- into uh, he- he's having a stroke the character's having a stroke and he kind of flashes back to a party where the Louis ballroom scene I'm sorry what the ballroom scene yes oh, oh yeah. Jesus that's so good that incredible incredible sequence where it's it's haunting and i mean the symbolism with the golden balloon is a little bit on the nose but still i mean it's <laughs> it is a really well put together sequence and it's I, truly I nightmarish that's what a nightmare yes, feels like yes, you know that whole that's thing exactly right and i do think that this is a like there's times when i remember when we watched like kill bill volume one right and you're like oh i didn't know that quentin tarantino could direct good action right i didn't know he could direct a good action scene and uh, similarly, this has elevated my opinion of what Josh Trank is capable of. I mean, this guy has made Chronicle and the Fantastic Four and this, and I, I think this is a significant evolution in terms of what he is showing, like Absolutely. what he is able to convey. Um, Can I ask you a question, Dave? Yeah, go ahead. What is what is Capone or Fonz or whatever you want to call him? What is he wrestling with in those moments? What it, What is he going through? Guilt, anger. You didn't ask me. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. But I think that's right. Yeah, the the idea of like all the uh, the viciousness and cruelty that uh, this is. But you're pointing to one of the tortures. That's what the torture scene. Yeah, the torture scene. But this is one of the problems of the movie. This is what I'm saying. Like because the movie doesn't really do a good job of showing the quote unquote rise, even via flashbacks. 
you get it's it's really hard to understate how big of a deal Capone was in the time. And I agree with you. It frustrates me whenever a movie requires you to bring pre-existing knowledge in order to enjoy the movie. And I do I, think I, that this to some degree does that. I, I don't even think you need to see the rise. Here's the thing. And I'm going to I'm going to reject your definition of a biopic a little, Jeff, because I think Lincoln is a great movie. And I think you can make great I, biopics. I think Lincoln's a great movie, too. I would never said Lincoln wasn't it's a great not movie. About the way, yeah. Jeff just doesn't like that it was called Lincoln. So I specifically brought up Lincoln because... Okay, okay. I specifically brought up Lincoln because it's a great movie with a misleading title. Okay. Okay. So, okay. so yeah. I do... I do yeah, nitpicking about titles is... Movies are a lot more than that. But I look oh, at a movie I, like... <laughs> I look at a movie like... Obviously! <laughs> So why are we spending 15 minutes yelling about a title? It was a side thing that so I brought obvious. up. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move like, on. come on. Come on. It means something. But I also think of a movie like Steve Jobs, too, where that is, it's very, it's, you're sort of seeing a rise, but it's also like a very slim window into that man's life and his psychology and how everything is happening. I I get the idea and the explorations of regret. And I think these flat, these sort of like weird dream sequences are the best part of this movie, but they're not enough of this movie like if you're gonna hinge on that give me give me some sort of weird exploration like that i was just asking for a little more that's all so scott i i think that this is one of the weaknesses of the movie in my opinion is that like i i actually wish it was more a little bit more about this idea of hey this is a guy this is a guy who was one of the largest figures ever in the history of i guess you could say well not mankind but certainly in the united states Right, an American crime, in American crime, right? Like legend in American crime. Yeah. Um, and this person theoretically must be wrestling with a lot of demons, uh, particularly towards the end of his life when he's going insane. Um, I don't think the movie does a particularly good job of conveying that. Yes, there's a torture scene, but I, I kind of wish you had gotten a better sense of a all the totality of the terrible things he needed to do to get to where he was, and b his opinion on them uh because i think you get a sense uh, like there is some level of regret with this torture scene and um and regret with his son that he doesn't know right because you know for a variety of reasons um but i i, I don't know character that character and thing by the way too because we don't we don't th- that's not historically true as far as we know Right, right. So it's so like I, it's adding these things to add these elements, but I don't, I don't know if that quite works because we exactly. Don't get, so I, I yeah. don't think it's quite enough to work on a on a like on a basic narrative level. Like Capone is haunted by the ghosts of his past, and like, and therefore, like that's what the movie is. I think that the movie works best as a you know, dare I say, tone poem or yep, uh, you know, like just a series of haunting scenes. The movie uh, I kept thinking of while watching it was uh, Pablo Lorraine's Jackie. Um, oh man! In the sense that, well, first of all, the score sounds very similar to, yeah, to yeah. Michael Levi's score in that, and uh, man, LP knocked it out of the park. God damn! Uh, <clears throat> that guy and Trent Reznor should do a little work together. That but, would be interesting. Yeah, um, it sounded like it, it sounded like Jackie to me, and it was uh, so unconventional in its portrayal of uh, an, uh, an iconic character, um, and not it doesn't give you the, it withholds from giving you the money shots from that person's life, you know, and right. is dealing mostly with the fallout from those money shots to use a very unfortunate phrase. But um, Jackie's an interesting movie to bring up because I feel like every scene in that movie, every line of dialogue, every character, like every little bit of that movie is constructed in a way to bring you into, you know, Jackie Kennedy's psychology. 
And to me, sure. that's what's really interesting. And I feel like there, there's so much in this movie, which is just like willfully not doing that. And I'll, I'll point to like the Matt Dillon character, who is the, you know, very stereotypical. Oh, he's, he wasn't there, wasn't actually there the whole time. What What's up with the introduction? To his that, that is so what? wild. That what whole does that... situation. So why introduce Matt Dillon's character having sex with someone? Yeah. If he's not a real character, is like, he imagining just, just him? The like, most what? bizarre, because because basically, like that is kind of a very Tay. It's very much like yeah, you're yeah. watching this character having sex because like at the very basic level, he's a real character. Yes, <laughs> <Right>? yes. <laughs> like I think what, it's feeding the idea that he is real when he is not, and right. I think that the movie. You know, we're going back to the meta shit, but I mm-hmm. think the the movie is as much of an unreliable narrator. narrator as Capone's own mind. And I think that <laughs> that's there to, to reflect that. I, d- I do like, I do like how off kill, like that's, that really set me off killed. Like really put me off balance. Uh, when Matt Dillon's character is revealed to be not real because uh, my mind is flashing back. Like, well, what was the whole thing with him having sex? Then? Right. Like yeah, why? Yeah. Because, because you, you put in a scene like him having sex because it's like the implication is, these characters are, they exist on their own timeline. They're doing their own things. Uh, and y- y- they, they have their life separate from the protagonist. Yeah. And then to that, to introduce him that way and then reveal that he's not real is, I like, is such a, yeah, go ahead. Je- is that Jeff? Saying? No, it's me. Oh, no, sorry. sorry. Uh, I, well, I was just going to say the, the reveal where you, where you see that Dylan is not, is not actually there occurs like into like a minute or two into the sequence where um Capone and his wife get in a big fight and he spits yeah. in her face. And yeah. so like my wife and I were watching this and we're sitting there watching and then there's like uh it cuts to like a two shot and suddenly his chair is empty. I was like, wait, is fucking Dylan not real? <laughs> and then like before you can even process that, yes, you know, yeah. uh, it just uh it. Yeah. Capone and his wife uh get into this like you know, major fight. And that kicks our, uh, another sequence. By the time Matt Dillon popped up again, I was like, Oh yeah. Like 20 minutes ago, like we didn't know whether or not he was real. Like I didn't have time to absorb that because of everything else that happened. But I think that's, I think that's the movie keeping you off kilter. I don't know. It sounds like I'm making apologies for it or sort right, of, right, right. you know, it, it just feels like you could do more with that character because ultimately Matt Dillon's character ends up being like, I guess somebody Capone kind of liked and kind of trusted and who was assassinated in a very brutal way. Like that's probably my favorite scene of just like mm-hmm. the cross cutting of the dinner and that that crazy execution. Um, or no, it's not even cross cutting because the execution happens before it. But there's this I was thinking it's like, man, oh, is is Matt Dillon the sort of like Capone in his prime? Is he the past self coming back and having a conversation with the mm. the dying self? And that that's a way to bring in the legacy of the character and really explore it. And it ends up not being that. It ends up being the movie. I, I feel like I put my trust into movies, you know, and they can pull surprises. They can they can do all sorts of stuff. But the whole having introducing him as a real character in a very like very stereotypical mob movie way, by the way, like it's a very, very pointed what they're doing. It's like, oh, that's a that's the introduction to somebody on the Sopranos. You know, this is this right. new guy coming in. Look at what he's doing. He's so cool. He's taking a phone call right after having sex. It's amazing. Um, but yeah. And then, then they go on a fishing trip, which there's there's stuff. Yeah, so you can was none of that. that real? Right. Like, did he imagine it's kind of, the fishing real. trip? 
none of it's real, but it's also like, I don't know how much more to gain from those conversations and those scenes. Like, here's a really interesting character and a good actor. I think Matt Dillon can be great, especially as a like really polished counterpoint to a crumbling Capone. And it feels like they didn't really do much with it. And that kind of irked me as well. Uh, totally fair. Uh, let me say one other thing about the movie that I really enjoyed. And I think we can, we've been going for a while, so I think we can wrap up shortly. But I think that uh, there is this brilliant scene in the movie with Linda Cardellini. Uh, it's like shot super close up on her face when she's kind of interacting with Tom Hardy's character. And uh, they don't, you know, she, she's trying to, you see the full impact of what he's saying register on her face. She's kind of weeping. She starts weeping because of uh, what he's saying and the fact that he doesn't understand anything that's happening. Right. Um, Or he's just saying nonsense or things that, that are really hurting her. And that's one of the things that this movie does a good job of. I think through that character is uh, it shows you kind of the personal devastation that this character's actions have wrought there's this amazing line earlier on. I, I, I apologize. I don't remember the exact line, but like, I think Kyle McLaughlin says something to her like, hey, you should uh, make sure you keep a, another guy around the house to, in case he like hurts himself. And she's like, you know, I, I've been yeah. waiting 25 years for peace and quiet. Like I can handle him. And I just not afraid I, in of that him. moment you see and you feel the fullness of everything that that character has gone through over the last few decades. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And she didn't have ten years of quiet though when he was in prison. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's true. Jeff. <laughs> I'm going to well, go out on a limb it, and say life was never quiet for Al Capone's wife. Yeah. For one and, reason and, or and, another. And presumably, he still <laughs> continued to operate things while he was in prison. Yeah. And, you know, for real. Yeah, so, yeah. And the feds so, were always probably fucking you know screwing with him. Who knows? Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. That, lady did not have, that lady did not have a calm life. Like, yeah, she's yeah. in a way waiting for him to die, which right. I also would Absolutely. have. Another thing. Let's explore that. Let's do more with that. Uh, I, I thought the movie did a decent amount with that. But Jeff Kanata, I mean, do, what do you think of Linda Carlini in this movie? Like, did you think that with, uh, to the extent that this movie can be said to have any arcs at all? I thought that was a decent one. <laughs> But what did you think? I suppose, I mean, I think she's the most sympathetic, interesting character in the movie. I agree with Devendra that she's given complete short shrift here. There's, she does almost nothing. And the movie, I mean, I don't know how much of the hour, 40 minute running time she's on screen, but it isn't a lot. Uh, And, you know, I think she's great. I think she's a wonderful, wonderful actor. And I, I thought that character was fascinating. If this movie had been about Capone's wife. Yeah. Amazing. Like, what is that life? What is that? What is that situation? You wait around for 10 years. I don't I, I honestly, this movie tells me nothing about how long they've been together, who she is, what, what her story is. We have, she's got kids with him, but I guess there's this other, I, I, I don't even know what to make of her struggles other than that one line that you guys just quoted. Like other than that, she seems to care a lot about him and want him to not have dementia. And he has dementia. Like that's, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to get anything from this movie, and I'm really glad you guys seem to have, other than some stylistic exploration into madness, which is always interesting when you do it well. And I think there are some scenes that certainly are disturbing on a very visceral level. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I, I literally have no takeaways from this movie. I don't know what the point is. Yeah. It's also, it's interesting that even Tom Hardy 
has done similar movies to this. Like, I, I like this idea better when it was called Bronson, you know? <laughs> yeah, Bronson's a disturbing movie. The opening movie. scene Oof. of Bronson, like, blows away, like, I think any of the surreal scenes in this movie. But yeah. that's it's 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 just weird to see. Like, that's part of it, too. It's like, I feel like I've seen part of this before. So, yeah, that, that stage and crowd scene was very nice. But it didn't impress me because it just feels like Josh Trank is cribbing on things he's seen before, like other great movies starring Mr. Tom Hardy growling and being, you know, an angry evil man. I just never saw Capone struggling with guilt. I never saw any kind of, like you said, Dave, there's no arc to any of it. It just seems like a loosely associated series of neuroses. Like sometimes he's worried about his family. Sometimes he's worried about, himself as a little kid sometimes he's worried about i guess some violence that he you know condoned or i i don't know what the movie is trying to i don't do. think it, capone, it seems like a shotgun blast i don't think capone actually how do i put this this is this was my interpretation of it and I, i'll grant that uh you know i could be inventing things here and it, you know uh, this is just how i sort of <laughs> absorbed it but I don't know that Capone the person, and and especially the the Capone that's in this movie, I don't know if he ever felt guilt. But I think that that was probably a choice where he 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 pushed that back into his subconscious. And so in those scenes, like where he's watching the torture of the guy, and and when he's quite clearly, you know, uh, confronting the 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 violence of his past and. And all that rage, I think that that's sort of his subconscious breaking into the into the madness, and you know, uh, it's it's him confronting the guilt, but having never really dealt with it before, if that makes sense. And uh, on a completely unrelated note, so, uh, this is a question I want to ask you guys before we wrap up: uh, Do you think? Do you have any theories about the money? Because I have a theory about. <laughs> where the money was in this movie. I think the money is in the movie, the hidden money. Really? I think it's in that fucking statue. <laughs> mm. I think that that's like, he knew it was yeah. hidden in that statue. And that's why he was so worried about them taking it away. And, and, you know, don't lay a hand on, on it or I'll cut your head off. You know, um, I kept waiting for the moment where they were going to knock that statue over and it was going to break open. It would be filled with like bags with giant dollar signs on them. Yeah. Um, the money that was never found in real life. But I think in a in a like weird fictional way, it would be funny to see them do something with that. Yeah. My guess is that that is what the movie was trying to communicate to us. Uh -huh. I'm going to I'm going to talk to Josh tomorrow. I'm, I'm interviewing him. And one of my questions is going to be, was the money in that fucking statue? Because I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's interesting though, Scott. That of all the people on this podcast, <laughs> you're the one that seems to like the movie the the most, which is a movie that seems to not care at all about narrative conventions. No. And yet you are the one that has a theory about the money. Whereas, like, I guess my takeaway was the point is like we, we'll never like the point is we'll never know. It's like the ending of The Sopranos. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. That that is part of the point is that the money was never important anyway because all these other things whatever they are, are important. So maybe not, but yeah. I think, I think Trank's being cheeky with the statue. That's just, this is a, this is <laughs> a, a fan theory. You know, this is, yeah. this is basically fanfic that I'm, that I'm doing right now, but, uh, it makes I, I, a lot of sense. I, there's yeah, it makes, it any, makes sense. any other reason for him to be so weird about the statue. So yeah. Also, the statue looked like a dick. 
Yeah, like, it looked yeah through, like I sure. could. I at first I was like, does he have a giant dick statue in his yard? Like, is that, <laughs> and is it like a virility thing? And then eventually they turn it around, and it's like, I mean. To you be know. fair, he has several giant dick statues in his yard. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He does. <laughs> uh, I, I just wanted to throw a shout out to the crazy shootout scene. Yeah, the last, the final shootout sequence was so oh my wild. God. It, was it was just, it was, yeah, that was like, that brought me to a place where was like, oh, is he, is this actually happening? Is he doing this? Um, I, I know enough about him to know that this sequence wouldn't have happened in real life. But if is the movie trying to tell me something by doing this? And even though though that that was all kind of happening in his mind, it was still like, that's interesting. Like that's Capone taking action and doing something and us like being on the edge of our seats. I wanted more of that from this movie, but at least we got a bit of that in the climax. I don't, I think, I, I don't think it will surprise anyone to say, I thought that part was very distasteful. <laughs> it just felt like, Oh, we're watching a guy with mental problems. Yep. Commit a mass shooting. Yep. It's, it just felt, yeah, but maybe with a gold plated Tommy gun, pretty mm-hmm. cool. If you ask yeah, me, I love the idea that we're going to gold plate the Tommy gun, but leave the bullets in it. <laughs> that's you know that's how that wall works. It was you it gold was, plate something, you definitely leave a magazine in that's useful and working. Yeah, it was clearly a comment on Miller's Crossing and the amazing <laughs> Tommy gun sequence from that movie. Clearly, that's what we're getting also, at. As, uh, it was his rosebud, right? As far as I know, that did not happen in real life. No, I don't, it, didn't. I, it didn't. I tr- it did not. I tried to Definitely find like evidence that such an yeah. event occurred, and I'm like, I don't, I don't think that. Yeah. I mean, this movie. I does think if, feel like yeah, if Capone like, like in was, real life went on a, a rampage in a mansion in Florida and gunned down like dozens of people with a gold plated Tommy gun and his bathrobe and a diaper. Definitely going to be high on the list of things people yeah. talk about. Or even, on that. Or or even, even one guy's kneecap. <laughs> yeah. Even one, yeah. yeah. That's Maybe going on the Wikipedia was, page. It was, <laughs> reve- it was revealed to be a dream sequence of the movie. But I just, uh, but that was the thing I was like, because I actually, for a project I had to do for work one time, I stud- I'd spent quite a bit of time studying Capone. And I'm like, I don't remember this happening. I, I feel like I would have read about this. You know? It does feel totally. like a movie written by somebody that read an, uh, a, uh, you know, like a paragraph of an article one time. I was like, oh, that's pretty fascinating. He had syphilis at the end of his life and, and then just made up everything else. You know? yeah. no, he had syphilis for most of his life. That is yeah, the interesting story. He got it at 15. Yeah. My, yeah. my man was in there knocking it down before he could even drive a car. And then it. Yeah. The, and the movie brain. communicates that to you in text at the end. Yeah. In text yeah, at the end. That's, meanwhile. That's an indictment of the, of the movie. It's, it doesn't it's matter. Like, if I had known that from the beginning, it wouldn't make any yeah. difference to how I interpreted the movie. Meanwhile, by the way, Drunk History managed to set up the whole idea that this like amazing gangster, like one of the worst criminals in U.S. history, was an idiot. Because he was suffering from this in many ways. Like, man, it's not just the last year of his life. That's why I would have liked to see earlier sequences with him of just like hints of this, of people saying like, I don't, or what are you saying? Fonto? Like what's, what's actually happening? I would have liked some more of that. But anyway, go, go watch the drunk history sequence. It's great. All right. Well, I think we can wrap it up there. Uh, that has been our review of Capone. Hey, actually, I do want to say one last thing. I thought the closing text was really weird. Uh, because yes. you think that it, was weird? usually yeah. you expect you, <laughs> closing text generally has a uh, format, right? Like uh-huh. you, it'll say um, it, it typically starts by referring to who the protagonist is, right? It'll say um, uh, Al, Al Capone died at the age of forty-eight, shortly after the events of this movie, you know, or something, something like that, right? Like it'll say something about the protagonist and then talk about his loved ones. Lincoln went on to get shot. 
Yeah, Lincoln went on to get assassinated. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this one just now started. Now on your penny. <laughs> this one was kind of like in. It started like in media res. Like the the text was like in media res. It was like most of his friends and family. It doesn't even. There's no subject there. Like there's no proper <laughs> noun. Just like most of his friends and families changed their names after. It's like it's just weird. Weird text. Anyway. Just weird. And then I love. I, I know you guys already hate me for for even talking about this at all. But oh boy, the. Uh, the, you know, and then it has that last title card where it's like Capone, which to me feels like, and now you know all there is to know about Capone. <laughs> you know, when you do the really last- hates the title. I don't know if you guys yeah. can tell. <laughs> I know. Okay, I'll shut up. I'll, I won't Jeff talk is not anymore. Mad. Jeff you is guys not mad talk. about the title. Yes. <clears throat> oh, Christ. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, that's been our review of Capone. Uh, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week, although you already know. In the meantime, Scott Wampler, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Uh, BirthMoviesDeath.com. Uh, I'm there daily uh you can follow me on twitter though i wouldn't recommend it at at scott wampler bmd and you can follow the kingcast at at kingcast 19 and that show is available <laughs> where it, on most platforms you can find a, a podcast on itunes spotify stitcher blah 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 blah. what was with the 19 there oh that's a that's a dark tower reference the number 19 mm. is very very important to to Stephen King's overarching mythology. That's just, you know, that's for the fans, not the critics. That yeah, no, 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 no. Nice. I totally, totally understand. Um, and also, a guy named Christopher King, unfortunately, already claimed Kingcast uh, without the nineteen on Twitter. There's a yeah, we saw that. There's a there's a number of Kingcasts, and um, we went back and forth on the name for a long, long. There were months where we rattled off like so many different names, and then we were just like, "Fuck it, we're going with the Kingcast." It's the perfect title. Sorry. All right. Uh, Devendra Hardwar. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. I write about tech at Engadget.com. I'm also co-hosting the Engadget podcast, so go check that out. Uh, I'm in the middle of reviewing all of Microsoft's new Surface devices, so <laughs> go check those out. They're pretty cool. How about you, Jeff? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T, and I do several other shows, including a video game show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC, a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, you can find that at wehaveconcerns.com, and my long-form Dungeons & Dragons play, uh, it's called The Dungeon Run, you can find that wherever you get podcasts by searching for The Dungeon Run, you can find it on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run there. Or you can watch it live as we record Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. Follow me on Twitter at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen SKY. And check out my other podcast, Culturally Relevant, wherever podcasts can be downloaded. Uh, uh, next week, we're actually going to be off for Memorial Day. We're going to take a break. Uh, and then we'll be back in two weeks with our review of Tampopo as originally promised. Thanks for sticking with us uh, through the scheduling changes. But Scott, it was it was worth it just to get you on the show to defend Capone. <laughs> Thank so, you. I, I had a great time. I, <laughs> same, same. Anytime. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you later. We watched the-